You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. My story is very unconventional and learning to follow my heart again, the courage to leave school, the courage to fly to LA and stand in line with thousands of people and audition, the courage to maybe come to New York and just put yourself out there for a while. Like it's taking that leap of faith if you know deep down in your heart that this is what you were put on the planet to do and plowing your own path. Hi, welcome to the show. I'm Justin Belguarini, an entertainment industry insider and veteran. And I have been operating on a national level as well as an international level for about 20 years now in Broadway, film, television, hosting, commercials, you name it. I have most likely done it or been around it. And I created this podcast called Audition Secrets, the podcast, so that you could have a direct link to the wisdom and insight that I've gained over those past 20 years, but also the stories, the heartbreaks, the victories, and everything else in between of some of your most favorite and cherished people in the entertainment industry. I'm so lucky that I have access to some of the one-name folks, to some of the legends, as well as you, my people, my fellow hardworking entertainers, actors, performers. This is not all about me. Just uh, wanted to invite on some really cool friends of mine and share some really great stories. I want you to be able to take bits and pieces of the show, wisdom that you hear, behind the scenes things that we talk about, and I want you to use them to help you nail more auditions and book more jobs. I want you to ask me questions because I love to teach. I love to serve. And I want you to be able to take this podcast and to use it to help you get further in your career and to reach more of your goals. We got a great show for you today. So kick back, relax, and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to another episode of Audition Secrets, the podcast, your behind-the-scenes podcast for nailing more auditions, booking more jobs, and hearing the stories, the ups, the downs, and everything in between of the stars that you know and love, as well as the hard-working actors who are around you in the entertainment business. I'm Justin Belguarini. Thank you so very much for tuning in. We've got a great show for you today. On the show is Laura Osnes, the lovely and talented Laura Osnes. We have a great interview. But before that, I want to talk about something that she mentioned in our interview. She talked about being true to yourself and following that voice inside you that says, I am meant for this, that says, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And you know what? It might not make sense what it is I'm doing right now. And my family, my friends, they all might be like, you're crazy. But I just No, it's right. And I had an experience like that. I talk about it in Audition Secrets, the book. And if you haven't gone to auditionsecrets.com to check out all the great things we have for you there, please do. Not only can you get the digital copy of Audition Secrets, the book, for free, but you can also ask me a question there. Uh, You have to hit a little button that says, ask me a question, and you can leave me a voice memo, and I'll play it live here on the air. I would love to hear from you. I would love to serve you, answer your questions as many as I possibly can. I'm thinking about having some guests, some of of my friends, hardworking Broadway friends, come on the air and we can all answer your questions together. Any of your concerns, we just want to serve you. That is what this podcast is about. But back to the story. I had an experience with 
being true to myself and making a decision that felt crazy at the time. So let's go all the way back to 2002. I know it feels like forever ago, but I was 22 years old and I was facing the dilemma that everybody goes through at some point in life when you realize, okay, I have got to probably either continue to do what it is that I'm doing and stick with it, or I've got to get a jobby job because, you know, I got bills, I got all kinds of things that I need to pay for. And so not that long before that, I was in college. Now, uh, let me just tell you, I was a terrible student in college. Absolutely horrible. I was really good at what it is that I did, but when it came to the liberal arts classes and all that stuff, I was just... It was so bad. And so I had left college and went down to Miami and pursued music and I had been auditioning and I got this audition for The Lion King. And I talk about this in my interview with Laura, so I'm not going to ruin it for you, but I will tell you that I did very well in the auditions and they invited me to master classes in New York. And here I was going to the Broadway, being trained by people who were in the Broadway show. I was learning Zulu and Sutu. I was seeing the show. It was the most beautiful thing ever. And at the end of the day, they just said to me, look, we love you. We want you in the show. We just don't have a place for you, but we're going to, we're going to stay on you. We're going to make sure that you get into this show. Now I didn't have a manager. I didn't have an agent. I didn't have anybody. It was just me. And so weeks go by and months go by and years go by. And I have not heard anything except for little, Hey, we're just thinking of you. All this other stuff, these little things from the Lion King people. Fast forward to 2002. I am in the room with Simon, Paula, and Randy, and I audition, and they say, you're going to Hollywood, you get a golden ticket. And I didn't know what really that meant. It just was a yellow piece of paper. Nobody knew what it meant at the time. I just knew that I was going to get a free trip to California, a place that I had never been before. And so about a week before I was supposed to get on the plane to go to Hollywood for the beginning of American Idol's next round of auditions, I get this call from Binder Casting. Now, Binder Casting and Jay Binder is the casting director who casts the Lion King. And so years after I first auditioned in college, they call me up and they say, hey, we have a space for you. We want you on The Lion King. We want you to make your debut on The Lion King. We are so excited. When can you start? And there I was, knowing that in a week I was going to go to LA where I could possibly be cut or do well. I had no idea what was going to happen with American Idol, the show that no one had heard of. And then on the other hand, I've got the Lion King, Broadway, what I have been after for years, what I went to school for, saying, we're ready for you, come on, let's do it. And so, in a moment of inspiration, I said, look, you know what, Um, can I have a week? I'm going out to LA to possibly do this other show. I, I may be cut, can I call you back in a week? And they said, yeah, okay, sure, just call us back in a week. They weren't very happy about it. And so, a week goes by, I'm in LA, things are going really well, and I was beginning to emerge as a front runner, no guarantees yet, but I was singing, people were liking it, Simon, Paula, and Randy were enjoying it, my peers were really enjoying it, and I just had this feeling. And so it brings us back around to what Laura said, when you know that you are designed and you are destined for something, and there is in front of you this chasm, and everybody is saying, what are you, an idiot, don't do that, but there's something inside you that just knows. I don't know what it was that knew inside me. I think the moment for me was when I was walking down the aisle 
in the Pasadena Civic Center where we filmed Hollywood Week. And I look up at the stage and that was the stage where Michael Jackson first did the moonwalk at the Motown, I think at 50th anniversary or something like that. That was the stage where so many of the people that I loved, so many of the people that shaped who I am, sang and performed. And I'll never forget the moment for no apparent reason at all. And ladies and gentlemen, I am not a crier. I consider myself open, but especially at the time, I burst out into tears as I was walking down the aisle, just going to sit in the chair to wait to do some sort of something for the Hollywood Week taping. And something came over me that just said, this is it. This is right. This is what you're supposed to be doing. And so I literally called Broadway back and said, thank you. But no, thank you. I, I, it wasn't that simple, obviously. I was like, look, I really appreciate it. I've wanted to be on Broadway for so very long. This show is amazing. I love The Lion King. Please keep me in mind for the future. But I, I just feel like there's something that's good and that's going to happen with this other show. Needless to say, they were not best pleased, but they understood. And it was in that moment that I realized whew, I just made a huge choice a life-altering choice, one of those forks in the road that only comes uh, maybe once, twice in a lifetime. But the really interesting part about this story goes back to that belief in yourself, goes back into that staying true to yourself. And when you put your heart and soul into something and you don't get it, you don't get what it is that you want, sometimes it's because you're not really truly ready for it. And I don't know, if I had gone into The Lion King at 22, I don't know what would have happened to my life, but I'm glad that I didn't. I'm glad that I spent that 10 years in Hollywood going through the Hollywood entertainment ringer because it prepared me for everything that would happen 10 years later. I got my very first Broadway show. My debut was Women on the Verge of a Nervous Breakdown. I had Patti Lapone as my mother, Brian Stokes Mitchell as my father, and an all-star cast of people around me. And the really funny thing is, the opening night party was held in the hotel in Times Square in one of the conference rooms where I sat and waited and auditioned for American Idol. I had come full circle. And what needed to happen happened when it needed to happen. It's great. I love this business. There are so many people who have so many stories just like that. And I can't wait for you to hear Laura Osnes' story because so many of the things that we have gone through in our careers are very, very similar. So without any further ado, it is my absolute pleasure to present to you my interview with the wonderful, the talented, the beautiful, the sweet, the kind. I cannot say enough good things about her. Laura Osnes. Hi, Laura. Hi, Justin. How are you? I'm doing really well. How are you, my dear? I'm so good. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, of course. So, you know, it's very interesting. When I was doing, we've known each other for a while now, but when I was doing a little bit of research on you, um, in regards to like how we got into the theater and the performing sort of space, we have a lot in common. Yeah. You were born in 
town in Minnesota. And what I love to ask people, uh, first and foremost, is about their origin story. And when I say origin story, I mean like, you know, superheroes have origin stories. One of the most famous one is Peter Parker. Yeah. Got bit by the spider and all of a sudden became Spider-Man and it changed his life. So what is your origin story? What that, what's that earliest memory uh, that you have of falling in love with performance and theater? Such a good question. Fortunately, I grew up in a suburb of Minneapolis, so I feel like even though, you know, this quote small town, I was very, I was very much still a part of the creative arts and the theatrical scene that was happening in the Twin Cities, which is actually very strong. We like to call ourselves the Mini Apple, um, <laughs> as, as opposed to the Big Apple. So I did get exposed to a lot of theater at a young age. I think the first thing that comes to my mind when you ask that question is that I sang Castle on a Cloud from Les Mis at my kindergarten talent show. Of course you and did. And of course I did. So I remember growing up listening to uh, Les Mis specifically and like Secret Garden were the two cast albums that I latched onto. And I don't know why my, my mom had them. Um, I, we did go see Les Mis the young age. We would see the touring shows that would come through Minneapolis. And, you know, I did my first show in second grade. I played a munchkin in the Wizard of Oz and it was just community theater. But I remember looking up to Dorothy so much for the actress that was playing Dorothy and being like, I want to do that someday. And I had no lines. I was not like a lullaby featured munchkin, nothing. I was just random munchkin but i remember like watching dorothy and going that's what i want to do that's what i want to be um and i did i actually i got to play dorothy like twice later in my in my youth so yeah those those were i would say were my my early earliest memories you know it's really interesting and we haven't talked about this at all before but you said a couple of things that really struck me because my first Broadway show and one of my origin stories for theater was seeing Les Mis on Broadway. And then if I even take a step back before that, you said something that literally is the exact words that I said when you, when you (laughs) about Dorothy, I grew up in uh, partially in Atlanta and my father was uh, in the police force and all the big touring acts would come through Atlanta and there was this place called Fulton County Stadium and is where the Braves used to play. And so the Jackson yeah. Five Victory Tour came through in 1986 and what? I was I don't know like 8 years old and I was in the audience and long story short I pointed to the stage and said to no one in particular I want to do that. And years later, I would get to do that. So it's really, it's just crazy that you would, and that's it. It's it's just that moment that you have or that person that you see where you're like, oh my goodness, I'm so inspired. And it just, something just clicks. And I'm so glad that you had that opportunity. And one of the opportunities that you had was also another one that I had. You performed in one of the biggest dinner theaters, if not the biggest dinner theater in America. What? Tell me about that. Yeah, they say it's, I think it's like the Northern Hemisphere or something like that is Chanhassen <laughs> Dinner Theater in Chanhassen, Minnesota. It's about 45 minutes from my town of Egan. And I actually, I had a lovely experience there. I, again, it was another one of those theaters I grew up going to as a kid. And it was like a special occasion um, when we went to Chanhassen Dinner Theater because you got dinner and the whole deal. And so uh, when I finally got to work there, it was a dream come true, actually, for me growing up. There are pluses and minuses. Obviously, Chanhassen Dinner Theater is a very historic building, so mm. it's not necessarily the, the like most state-of-the-art, like cleanest, chicest 
place right. to work. Like, you know, everyone's in one big dressing room together, um, which is great. You know what I mean? That's like before, before I got spoiled with having my own dressing room and my own dresser and all of these things that Broadway has to offer. So it was, it was wonderful. They took very good care of me. And that's where I was working when I, when I auditioned for the Grease reality show and the director right. there, Michael Brindisi was very supportive and understanding of this career leap I had to take. And I was worried I was going to be ruining my reputation with that theater because I had to leave the show early. And it was such a gamble as to whether I would win, you know, win the show or lose, or if it would help me at all. And I was kind of leaving Chanhassen in a lurch. And yeah. now, now I'm like hometown hero there and they welcome me back. I try to go see the shows whenever I'm back home in Minnesota, I'll try to catch a show at Chan. Um, just because so that was, yeah, they, they were, they were there before it all happened. We got free dinner. Um, and I, I loved working there. Yeah. But it was part of your experience. Yeah. Part of my experience, part of my story. And you had to, you know, it's so great. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I know anyone uh, certainly at, at at the Broadway level who just like just tripped and fell into it without going through some sort of like we were we were in a barn and we put up a sheet and all of a sudden we put a sheet, one of those sort of deals and, and I know for dinner theater yeah. for me it was the same exact thing I mean it was in this building that still exists it's not a dinner theater anymore but it was this little restaurant and it had this like I, I tell the story in my book, Audition Secrets. It has this like stage that was like on this little squat stage that was chipped all the heck from God knows how many tap routines. And like <laughs> yeah. we had, it was a stage with like where the doors were, there are three doors with entrances and the, all the entrances and exits. We would get changed behind there. And at 15 years of age, I, because I was just open, because I just love performing, they convinced me, and I don't think it took a lot of convincing, by the way, to put on a big sequin dress with a really long train, oh, fake breasts, gosh. and a big fruit hat, <laughs> and sing, I am what I am from Lacage. I mean, and, and heels. Oh, wow. And I would go run and I, through the audience and, and I would walk through the audience in my heels and I would like, you, you know. Wait, you were 15? You were 15. I was 15. I was 15 wow. at a time at a time when, you know, getting dressed up like that was not like right. even remotely a cool, thing. right? Like it wasn't even a yeah. thing. Much remotely cool. And so I did it and you know, I'd walk through and I'd, you know, rub the bald headed guys <laughs> heads with a napkin. Yes. It was so much fun and it was such an amazing proving ground. And it showed me so much and gave me so much of the things that I needed, the basics that I needed to move on to the next level of my career. And, and like with you, you know, you moved on and you took a gamble on Greece. Yeah. And you know, look, they called you small town Sandy. Now, look, I kind of <laughs> I kind of hate that nickname on your behalf. I'm sorry if you like it because I just know yeah, you're so much more than that and it just smacks of people trying to like just dim your star, but like <laughs> I guess the question I have there is A, right. you know, how did it feel to be called small town Sandy? And then B, what did being on that show, which is a, a reality show, which you know, oftentimes has very little to do with reality, what did it teach you about the entertainment business? Well, small town Sandy, I don't really know how it came about. I guess it had to do a little bit with my story like I was engaged at the time and you know, I was putting off my wedding to like be on the show. And I was the Midwestern girl. And literally we arrived the first day and they gave us the nickname. They said, Laura, hi, welcome. Your color is yellow and your nickname is small town Sandy. So we had <laughs> no say in any of them. 
but they wow. did literally create nicknames for all of us that they yeah. put out there. So it's not like I developed that over time from the fans. It was like, no, you are going to be pinned as small town Sandy. Wow. Um, and at first I was like, small town. Like I, you know, my graduating class was over 500 people at my high school. Like I'm not mm-hmm. like, Egan isn't really that small of a town. And it's a suburb of Minneapolis, which is a huge city. So um, I remember feeling defensive at first. You're right. Kind of the same thing. Like, I am more than that. And then I actually think it really helped me because it made me relatable to all the middle America people who were watching the show and voting. And I was the small town Midwestern girl who was trying to make it big, just like them. And I actually think it worked to my advantage to be able to be relatable to the fans who were watching. Yeah, that is a really, really good takeaway because so much of, you know, it's again, like reality TV, they're making up a story more often than not to fit whatever narrative. Absolutely. But then, so, okay. So you found that that was certainly helped you to be more relatable, but you know, what experiences did you have on that show that, cause you, you had your experiences at the dinner theater and you know, you're all in the same uh, right. dressing room, but like, what was the next level where you, I mean, cause I know for like me, for American Idol, I got smacked yeah. A couple of experiences where I was like, oh, I needed to learn this lesson and I needed to learn it very quickly in order to survive in this business. Did you have anything like that? Yes, absolutely. I love that we have so many things in common, Justin, about our story. First, I remember the, my critique the first week from David and Ian, who was one of the judges, was like, mm-hmm. you know, Broadway is going to eat you for breakfast. You know, do you have you have the sweetness of Sandy and Spade, but do you have the sexiness? Do you have the edge? Do you have the you know, the, the thick skin, as they like to say, that you could survive and you could lead a Broadway company, et cetera. And we were all babies. I was 21. Um, the oldest of us was 23. The youngest was 19. So we were all, you know, we're all just, it was a brand new experience for all of us involved and a big, you're right, a big leap of faith, a big step to do that. I hadn't really done any on camera work at all. Not that this was like a movie or anything, but it was, it was like we were performing live, but it was, you know, it was a brand new experience. We were put through the ringer every week and the stress, the stress was a lot. Like I wouldn't wish it on anybody. And thankfully this was actually before the age of social media and all that where, you know, we weren't, we weren't having people tweeting hate comments or things like that. It was actually before all that happened. And they, we actually had to be kind of private about it uh, while it was happening just because of the, you know, the secrecy of the whole, of the whole thing until every Sunday when it aired on TV. But it, yeah, I, I think I learned, I learned the the power of having to just be myself, which is weird because especially as a, as a reality show, like, yes, we all want to be Sandy and we're all trying to be Sandy, but we're going to be six very different Sandys and staying true to who I was and not trying to push my way to the front, but let my talent and my personality speak for itself and then just trying to be at peace about it the whole time which is so crazy because it's it's a situation that can fill you with anxiety and yes I was nervous and anxious a lot but I also have this thing deep down inside me that was like you're here for a reason you were supposed to do this all the doors opened so just go out and be you and do your thing and don't worry about the other girls don't worry what people think I feel like I, I grew up a lot just having to yeah. put myself in that stressful situation. I'm sure you I, did too. <laughs> that's it. No, that, and and you hit the nail on the head. I mean, it's, that is the biggest challenge. One of the biggest challenges that I've seen it, throughout my career, throughout so many of the careers of the people that uh, I know and I love is that 
challenge of being authentic and saying, okay, yeah. I have got that. Well, you said it perfectly. It's like, I am here for a reason. I, this is what I love to do. And how can I just yeah. so fully be myself and be grounded in the fact that I have, because you erase the word competition at that point when you're like, I have uh -huh. my own unique perspective, my own unique delivery. I, there is no one else on this planet who can do it. Like I can do it. There are other people out right. there who are going to give their best, but there is no competition for me because no one can do it. Like I can do it. So my only what competition is with myself to be the best yeah. me that I can be and bring the most of me to the role that I can bring to it. So it's great. Oh, it gives me goosebumps. I love it. So yeah, I you know. know. Speaking, and that's a really great lesson. And speaking of lessons, what's one of the greatest lessons? You've worked with a lot of wonderful people, a lot of greats, a lot of the, the sort of people that we can call by one name in this business. Is mm -hmm. there like a lesson, like a big lesson that you've learned from working with some of them? Have they set, pulled you aside wow. and said something to you? Or have you, have you just gleaned some sort of big lesson that you carry with sure. you? Sure. You know, I, I got to be honest, I don't really have like one like mantra that's like stuck with me, but I, I think it's more of the I've gleaned. I've gleaned over time. You know, one of the things I remember kind of about replacing um, in a show, like I replaced Kelly O'Hara in South Pacific and she couldn't have been kinder to me. And I was, you know, it was, a, it, I was completely intimidated and whatever. And I got to trail her one night and she was just so normal and open and honest with me. And then I also remember even like my first couple performances, there were few members of the cast specifically that like took me under their wing and made me feel really welcome there. Yeah. And so going on in future productions, like as a leading lady, I tried to do the same thing for like replacements in Cinderella, for example, you know, on opening night, we all had this tradition where we threw a penny into the wishing well. There's a well that, like a set piece that was a wishing well. And on opening right. night, the original cast all threw pennies in there. And as new members of the cast started to join, and, you know, the show ran for a long time, so we had a lot of changeover. On everybody's first night, I would make sure I would take whoever the new person was and, like, give them a penny and let them throw it into the well. And, you know, things like that, traditions that start to make sure that everybody feels included and welcome and a part of something, because I remember feeling like a fish out of water and the right. few people that really helped me and extended that olive branch when I knew nobody just made all the difference. So things like that. Um, I yeah. remember working with Sutton in Anything Goes and she, she, her opening that gift to everybody was bagels every Sunday. So for the entire run of the production, she ordered bagels and had them at the theater. So just like generosity, yeah. things like that, where it's like, what, how can I be a positive, a positive leader when it's my turn to be, when I'm called to be that, um, right. leaving my dressing room door open. So, you know, things like that, making yourself accessible and trying to keep the atmosphere of light in rehearsal, even in serious moments, you know, having a good time with your castmates. I love to bake. So I feel like my act of, quote, generosity is like bringing in baked goods and cookies and brownies every once right, in a while. Right. Um, you know, so it's, it's like finding, the, finding those things that can help you be a, a, a leader in a cast and just make you relatable, make you relatable and to the rest of the people and approachable, I think. And then also having a life outside of the theater being able to i just learned that too over time people mm -hmm. you know have just said that to me it's so easy to get caught up in what we do and 
Um, it's important. It's important to get caught up and invested in what we do. I think that makes us great at what we do. But making sure you have a grounding force outside, whether you know, for me, I'm I'm married. I have my amazing husband. I have my dog at home, who I love so much. We're connected to a church community in New York. We just bought a lake house in Connecticut. That's going to be like our escape and our getaway. Um, you know, having those things outside of the theater district that help keep you grounded and sane are so important. Those are some amazing points that you brought up, <laughs> and. Everyone that I know who is a star, whether it's Patty, David Hyde Pierce, you talk about Sutton, Kelly O'Hara, you, all of those people have that similar thread of leadership and they always make sure that no matter who you are or what title you do or don't have next to your name, that they are accessible, that they take care of their people. And I mean, I've heard so many of the stories of the people who are the real stars, who are the consistently working actors do that. And I think it's so important for people to hear that, you know, it doesn't matter just on Broadway, but even in your local dance troupe, even in your local theater yeah. troupe, if you can reach back and you can just take someone who might be new, someone who might be unsure, someone who is just feeling, like you said, a fish out of water and just take their hand, you can make, you can change someone's life by doing yes, that. It's absolutely, absolutely. It's such a beautiful, beautiful, that is the the fact that you've gleaned that from those wonderful people and that you continue that tradition on is part of what we do. What we, the we, I mean, the community, the people who are the lovers uh, on Broadway do. And, you know, people think Broadway is all about competition and about, you know, scrambling over the backs uh, of of your compatriots, but it's it's not. Right. are a small tight knit community and we take care of one another. And that's, that's yeah, I would say it's like 95% is that. And uh, you know, occasionally right. there's going to be some drama. Occasionally there's going to be, you know, tips and things that happen, what, but wait, um, drama, the theater, oh, what? what? Yeah, right. No way. But <laughs> I think good. at the end of the day, being kind, kindness goes a long way and people want to work yeah. with kind, hardworking people. And um, I just feel like you'll continue to work and at least have a home or success in the in the business if you work hard and you're kind. <laughs> kindness, goes, kindness goes a very long way. And you might be the sweetest, kindest person I have ever met, but everyone oh, has wow. a button. And I would be remiss if I did not ask you what is because you're, you're just you're like the, the picture of sweetness and light. But like what oh, is one God. thing? What is one thing that makes you seethe? And want to be like <laughs> Nora Osnes's evil twin, Nora Osnes. What 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 makes Nora oh Osnes see? Let's see. Um, thank you, by the way, for saying that. And I, I have to. I, I'm going to follow this up with another thing after. But I'm going to answer your question first and say, let's see. I tend to be very competitive, so I really? sometimes. Yes, I I'm a big kind of gamer, and I've gotten better. But if people don't like follow the rules or things like that. I did, I kind of really put my foot down. I started to have a little more grace for it because it was extreme for a time where I would be like hurting people's feelings. And I go, okay, this is supposed to be a game. This is supposed to be fun. And I am like, you know, I am like putting my foot down about like rules and things like that. And I, I tend to get a little impatient. If, mm. I don't know. Like I, if, if like I know the answer to something and someone doesn't know it, it's crystal clear to me. I'm like, why don't you know that? It's obvious. You know what I mean? Things like that. I need to get more, I need to get more patient for the things that, you know, someone may not know. 
I don't know a lot of things. There are a lot of things I don't know. So who am I to think I like, (laughs) you know, know everything. Um, So I, those I think are my two, my weaknesses. (laughs) That's great. And you know, I love that because, you know, everyone gets to see just like, it's what it's like with success. You know, everyone gets to see the success that you have. They don't see like the hours that you slogged, all the failures that you've had. And it's like, everyone gets to see the, the princess, the beautiful, sweet princess walk across the stage, but no one gets to see what you're like across a game of Pictionary when somebody breaks the rules. And I love it. Thank you. Thank you very much. And I wanted to follow up with that is that, yes, you know, I, and I don't actually mind having that persona and, you know, having people think of me that way. Yes, I'm a Midwestern girl. And, you know, I have those values and, you know, people have kind of painted me as the princess. But I remember a few years ago, actually, during Cinderella, I did this like six hour interview with a reporter from the New York Times. I'm being really honest with you here. Um, And he like, they came to my house, they like chatted, like they really wanted to get to know me. And, you know, they do these features every once in a while. And, you know, I felt like I was putting my best foot forward. And I I remember the title of the article came out and it was called glass slippers and goody two shoes. And I'm going to cry about it, thinking about it right now. Like Mm. I, I remember being so stung by it because I feel like, niceness and kindness actually has like this negative connotation or like a shallow connotation. And I'm here to say that that is not true or it shouldn't be true. And I felt, yeah, just so like stung by after spending six hours with me, like that's what he got out of it. And I was like, I have been through some crap. I have worked really hard. I am a real person and I am still positive. And um, in the midst of this crazy city and sometimes dark world that we live in. Um, I just, I am still a champion for light and positiveness and kindness because I just, but in the midst of it, sometimes I feel like it does get a bad rap or a a shallow reputation sometimes. Yeah. And you always hear people, uh, it's like, you know, the squeaky wheel gets the oil or whatever that phrase is. And like, it's just not a, it's not always necessarily true, but I have a story that's kind of like that. Uh, Not too long after American Idol, I really stepped back from the spotlight because I was just being burned like left and right. And I pride myself on being kind. I pride myself on being someone who is easy to work with and, and flexible and just a team player. And so when I did an interview with, I think it was entertainment weekly or something like that. And I was, it was this totally open, kind, self-deprecating interview where I just was like, (laughs) yeah, this is that, this, that. And, and I really wanted to have fun. So I went to, um, oh, I forget what mall it was in LA. And I wrote on this sign, we'll sing for food. And like, and Uh as a joke and, and sat outside of the mall as just like a joke, like saying, Hey, I don't take myself Uber seriously. And and they mm-hmm. took that, and they took my kindness, my vulnerability, my openness, and they turned it into basically a hit piece on me. And it's just like, yeah, you're like, oh my goodness, what? I want to be, I understand why people get so defensive, get so angry, become quote unquote divas or divos, because it's a, it's a measure of self-protection against a lot of what you're talking sure. about, how people can treat yeah. kindness as a weakness. Whereas in our business, when you get all of the clutter out of the way and when you're doing what it is that we're, I believe that we're supposed to be do, which is serving the story and serving our community together, (laughs) that kindness is the greatest asset that we have. 
Hey everybody, and thank you so much for listening this far. I really appreciate it. I just want to take a quick break and invite you to become a guest on the show. I love to do Q&As. I love to have little segments where people ask me questions and I give them not only my answers, but maybe the answers of one of my big guests that I have on. So all you have to do is go to auditionsecrets.com and click on the link that says, ask me a question and record a voice memo. Or what you can do is you can email me at justin at auditionsecrets.com and type out your question or comment and you could be featured on the show. You could have your question not only answered by me, but by one of my big guests that I have on the show. All you have to do is go to auditionsecrets.com or email me at justin at auditionsecrets.com. I read all of those emails personally and I listen to all the voice memos personally. I can't wait to hear from you. Oh, yeah. man, it's rough. Yeah. It can be really yeah. rough sometimes. And it can be so glorious sometimes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, that's it. So, you know what? It, 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 speaking of the kindness, how do you really strike a balance between being your sweet and kind self, but also standing up for yourself and not being a doormat as many like, deeply kind people can unintentionally be, especially in this business? Uh, I think I'm, I'm still learning that every day. Um, I think <laughs> yeah. it's probably good that I have, I think it's probably good that I have a little bit of that competitive edge in me deep down that sometimes will give me the courage to stand up for myself. And then I think it's also just knowing that you can't please everybody. And one person's opinion is one person's opinion. So there have been times in my career where I felt like I need to speak up about this or like I know how to do this better than somebody else or like if I want to talk to the writer about a line or the director about a thing like I I used to just kind of go with the flow and then I worked with some artists who would speak up in the room and mm-hmm. let their voice be heard and I was like oh we can we can do that and and learned that if you do it in a peaceful way that your voice can be heard or at least a conversation can be had and it took, you know, three or four Broadway shows for me to realize that my opinion did kind of matter. And, yeah. oh, I did have something to offer in that realm. I wasn't just a puppet to be told what to do. So I feel like I'm starting to have a little more courage where where that comes into play. But there's still things like I had a dinner with a producer friend last night and was like, Laura, like, what show do you want to do? Go get the rights to it and do it. And I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, God, I can never do that. Like, I don't I don't have the power. I don't have to say I, I, you know, in that case, I'm like, oh, I feel like the doormat. But then right. I woke up this morning going, oh, do I have the power to do something like that? <laughs> like, could yeah. I, could I get a, a co-star friend and say, we want to do this show and like, go, someone give us the rights? Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's things like that where I feel like, yeah, it's a constant challenge, a constant battle. It is the battle to find that place because even even at our level and you know people who are the huge stars you know, I mean, you know what i mean i'm, I'm saying I'm not saying you're a huge star sure. but you know what i mean the, the legends and and stuff like that which i fully believe that you know someday you will definitely be considered one of the legends but like you know oh what i mean gosh, like fingers when, crossed. When, yeah fingers crossed for all of us right but like it's exactly. like we strike it's like it's like it's like what I'm doing with this podcast and what I'm doing. I wrote a book called Audition Secrets, and I'm moving yeah. into 
or expanding rather into a mentorship role. And I still have to deal with the little voice inside my head that says, you know, who are you to tell people, you know, X, Y, and Z, and who are you? And I, and I have to stand up to that voice that asks me and questions my validity just as a, a, an educator, because I'm also a performer, but I want to be an educator. And it's the same thing. It's like, you have built up enough of a reputation, enough experience, and people feel so strongly about you that the only thing stopping you from deciding what show it is that you want to do, finding a you know a, a co-star and saying, hey, we want to do this and and going and, and talking to a, a producer and raising money for it and doing all the XYZ steps. Right. The only thing that's stopping you from doing that is you at the right. end of the day. And, and, and that is a lesson that we can all learn no matter where we are on our evolution as performers and as actors right. it's just like that next step that next evolution in our careers yes. the only thing holding us back is whatever our uh, our beliefs about ourselves and our capability are and once you take that baby step and then another baby step and another baby step it's like you learn as you go and you take these imperfect actions and eventually yes. you achieve your goal. Or if you don't achieve your goal, you find some sort of path that had you not taken those steps would have otherwise been hidden to you. <laughs> Absolutely. And yeah. taking the courage to continue to dream big and take those baby steps. Absolutely. 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 So is there a piece of wisdom, speaking of the courage, speaking of the uh, uh, wisdom that you've gained over the years, is there a piece of wisdom that if you could go back and give your pre-star self, you know, what would it be? Uh, I think it would be patience. Um, and here I am. That's my weakness sometimes. But Hello. I also Welcome. like it's only it's only because like I auditioned for like Sandy Community Theater in Greece and I didn't get it. And then three years later, won a national competition to play Sandy in Greece on Broadway. Right, right. Um, things like that. Like I saw Kelly O'Hara in Light in the Piazza when I was in high school and I was enamored and right. who would have thought that five years later, I would be replacing her in that right. Broadway show on that same stage. Right. Like just know that if you see it, it's like you can achieve it. You can like dream big and those things like can be possible. I know that my, my story and my career has been very blessed and are very unique. And, um, you know, I kind of came in with rose colored glasses because I was, you know, given this opportunity, but I also did work hard for it. And I have been dreaming about it since I was yeah. five years old singing Castle on a Cloud at my kindergarten talent show. So just know that if, if community theater playing Sandy and Greece, it wasn't your time that, you know, your time will come. You could be playing Sandy and Grease on Broadway three years later. <laughs> yeah, and that's um, it. And, and I think so, people, people see your career and they see even my career and it's like, oh, they got a lucky break on a TV show. And you you don't see all of the failures, quote unquote failures, all of the missed opportunities yeah. that lead up to those moments where you can, where you can really seize the brass ring. And, you know, people are like, oh, they got lucky. No, I mean, at the end of the day, and it's a, it's a tried and true phrase. I mean, luck is just preparation meeting opportunity, but all that preparation yeah. more often than not comes from missteps, quote unquote failures and all the things you didn't get 
Yes. And all the things I'm still not getting, you know, people are like, Oh, so like, how do you choose which Broadway show you do? And I'm like, Oh, I wish it worked that way. Like, you know, there's been plenty of disappointments, even as a, as quote successful as I've been now, there's been lots. Mm -hmm. I used to do a whole concert called the paths not taken and it's songs from, from roles I was in final callback for and didn't get or shows I was maybe offered but decided not to do because I had another thing. So it's like things that almost happened and I came close to doing, but then didn't. Like there are still disappointments that happen all the time. And sure. yes, those things make me <laughs> richer and make me who I am. <laughs> um, right. And also that there's no, there's no like five step plan to follow. And we've kind of been talking about this too, like as far as, mm-hmm. you know, mentoring to the young people, I tell them that you need to plow your own path. I'm a big advocate for school. Like I was a straight A student, but I only went to college for a year. And then I left school because I got offered an opportunity to intern at the children's theater company in Minneapolis for a year, which was also another influential theater of my youth. And so I got paid to be in all the shows there. And then I like, and then I flew to LA and auditioned for a reality show. And that got me in Greece on Broadway. And that story is very unconventional and learning to follow my heart. Again, the courage to leave school, the courage to fly to LA and stand in line with thousands of people and audition the courage to maybe come to New York and just put yourself out there for a while. Like it's taking that leap of faith. If you know, deep down in your heart, that this is what you were put on the planet to do and plowing your own path. Absolutely. 100%. And again, it's just like, you and I have so many weird parallels in our career because I, I was know. I left college early as well too. I had been auditioning for this little show that unfortunately didn't do well. You may have heard of it called The Lion King. Shame what happened to it. It just it closed early. Oh yeah. And oh yes. so, yeah. Terrible. And so anyway, <laughs> so I auditioned for the show and I got into the master class and you know, here I am 19, 20 years old. I think I was 19 and I, you know, being taken up on going up to New York with my mom to do these master classes on Broadway for this amazing show and seeing the show and crying in the audience because it's so touching. And then years go by. They're like every, every couple months they're like, Hey, uh, how you doing? Hey, we, we, we really want you for the show. We just don't have a place for you yet. We don't have a place for you yet. And then all of a sudden the show that I'd never heard of that nobody had ever heard of in America comes along. I audition for it. They tell me I'm going to Hollywood. I've got a golden ticket. Who knows what that means? And the right. week leave for LA where I could be possibly cut the first day I get there, I get this call from Jay Bender's office saying, Hey, <gasps> it's been years. We want you for Broadway. We want you to be in the Lion King. We've got a great role for you. We 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 are so excited. Do you want to do it? And I was like, um oh my God. there's this show in LA. I may get cut. Can I call you back in a week? And so long right. story as long. I called them back in a week and I'm I'm and like literally, you know, that joke, like Broadway calling, like Broadway called. And I was like, yes. no, I'm going to do something else. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just, I felt like a crazy person. But again, it was trusting right. my gut. Turning my down own. a Broadway show. Turning down my debut. Well, like, right, right. At 22 years of age, <laughs> at 22 years of age, turning down my Broadway debut for a show that was not even remotely a guarantee that I could have been cut the day right. after I I'd, I'd had that phone call. So the last question I have, wow. two, two questions I have for you. So it's just, again, it's just, it's just crazy the parallels that we have, but uh, you mentioned <laughs> in coaching performers and you teach coaching uh, and you teach and coach young performers at uh, uh, various yeah. studios in New York and the country. What are some of the, I don't want to say mistakes, but maybe missteps or bad habits that you see a lot of young performers making? Um, it, 
I think the main thing is that in this, because they're so young, they haven't experienced much of life yet. So what I always really try to pull out of these young people is the ability to feel things and to tell a story with their song. I feel like their kids are given songs at the voice lesson and they're maybe taught technique and, and I, you know, we're all always working on technique too, but the, the thing that is going to set you apart above anyone else is telling a story with your song and feeling things. That's what I think for me is a lot of kids just like get up and sing. And even if they're really talented, finding some sort of connection, personal connection that they have to that material. Absolutely. Um, that I think it makes it, it makes it interesting. Yeah. And to piggyback on what you said, I think I always tell my students, I'm like, your number one job as an actor, especially, but as a performer, I think too, but as an actor is to serve the story. It's not applause. It's not making people. Yeah. On the side of the and it's like he or she who serves the story best wins. He or she serves the story the most authentically. And so I would piggyback on what you said. And I would say it's even telling your story through the song because like you said uh about sandy uh, on uh on the show it's like there's six different sandys right and as long yeah. as you are telling your own unique story then there is no competition there is there is yes the sandy as told through the experience of laura osnes's life you know there's that wow story that is so well said life, yes right and that's what and yes instead of going into, for example, an audition and thinking, okay, I've got to give them what I, what they want. How can I allow right. that character to play through me, play through my experiences so I can tell my version of this story. And so that's, that's Absolutely just true. Absolutely. So the last thing I want to talk that's about so good. is, yeah, thanks. And, and I, I would love to sit in one of your classes just to hear what you have to say. Um, the <laughs> last thing I want to talk about is you're starring in a new Hallmark movie. <laughs> yes, I am. Yes, I'm really about excited it. about it. Um, okay, so we shot um, in Vancouver like a month and a half ago, and they awesome. turned these things around. It comes out, it premieres on the Hallmark Channel July 1st. Wow. Um, and then airs three more dates that week, July 4th, 6th, and 7th. It also is on the Hallmark Channel. Um, nice. It's super sweet. I play an ex-singer-songwriter I was part of a duo with my ex-boyfriend and um, we parted ways because of artistic differences. And I, um, I go to my Nana's Island, this vacation spot where I grew up and I become the wedding photographer on this Island thinking this is what I'm going to do with my life. And all of a sudden my ex-boyfriend shows up at one of the weddings that I'm shooting and <laughs> we're forced throughout the week to, you know, kind of reconcile our past. And we might get to sing together and <laughs> potentially, you know, re rekindle the love for music that we once had and realize, you know, how much we've changed over you the know, years. I, it's, um, seeing as it's a fact it's a Hallmark movie, I doubt that's the ending. It's probably uh, going to be a funeral maybe in there. Uh, unrequited love, yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Is that, that's yeah, it? Ex that's exactly. That's exactly. Um, that's so great. So tell me again, we, when does that air? When does that air? It premieres July 1st on the Hallmark Channel at 8, 7 central on Monday, July 1st. Amazing. It was, it was my first movie. So I, you know, I've had, I've done a couple guest spots on a couple TV things and that's kind of it. So, um, mm -hmm. I learned, I feel like I learned so much and again, continue to challenge me, get me out of my comfort zone. Um, I was surrounded by an incredible cast 
Um, my co-star, Scott Michael Foster, is such a pro. He's been acting on TV forever, and I'm on camera. So he was really great. And the director, her name is Claire, and she was she's my age and young and funky. And I feel like we got on super well. I'm super grateful. Amazing. So yeah, we had we had a good time. And my favorite part. Yeah. Um, What's your favorite part of making the making the let's movie? Let's see. I mean, I have such positive memories from it, even though I was like so anxious at first. Um, yeah. I love like. I, I did really enjoy the process and the location. We shot at some beautiful locations in Vancouver. You know, we're surrounded by mountains and um, you're just so kind of taken care of in a way, like getting my hair and makeup done every morning was something that was fun and new for me. Like little things like that, like craft services. You're like, oh, that's cool. Um, Less craft services, and especially then, like, when they get it right. Get that. I know. And then getting, you know, getting to redo things when things don't go right, which is every take, you know what I mean? Every take or something that you're like, Oh, I screwed that up. And then, right. then sometimes all you get, um, and you know, there were, there was one scene where, um, we did two night shoots. So like that was new for me, like shooting, you know, shooting through the night and just, right. I think getting all of those experiences. And I feel like I, I came out with like a new feather on my cap. I like came of age because I like did this movie and got to experience, <laughs> you know, a whole bunch, a whole bunch of new things. That's so wonderful. That's so wonderful. Well, I hope you get to experience a ton more new things. You are an absolute doll. I cannot wait to have the wonderful excuse to actually work with you. Uh, We've done a show or two together. We have some concerts, I know. Yeah, but I would love to work with you on the stage and and just get to play eight shows a week with you at some point. Hopefully it'll happen some point down the line. I'm so glad that we you had this time. To talk. Thank you so very much for taking the time out of your busy day to talk to me and to talk to the audience. Of course. And, uh, and thank really you for awesome. having me, Justin. My pleasure. My pleasure. I hope you have a great day and uh, continued success to you. Okay, Laura? Thank you, love. You too. Talk okay. soon. Bye, dear. Bye. Laura Osmus is everything you would want her to be and so much more. I'm so grateful that she stopped by the show to talk to us for a little bit. And I'm excited to see her show, her Hallmark Channel show, which airs on the first. In the meantime, if you have any comments, questions, concerns about the musical theater game, all you need to do is send me an email to justin at auditionsecrets.com. Or you can go to auditionsecrets.com and hit the little button that says, ask me a question and leave a voicemail, and I'll play it right here, live on the air. I will talk to you, answer your questions, and make sure to take care of the things that you need, because look, I'm here to help you. I'm here to share my wisdom with you, and I want to invite some of my friends who are working Broadway actors on also to answer your questions and comments and concerns. I want to serve you the best way that I can, because really, at the end of the day, I want you to nail more auditions, I want you to book more jobs, and I want to be here and available available to you to answer any questions that you have, especially questions that will help you avoid the pitfalls that I and so many other actors in our business and performers in our business fall into all the time. And one of those pitfalls I've noticed is not being yourself in the room. And that might sound strange because we're going into the room and we are playing characters, which are not necessarily ourselves. However, I sent out this survey uh, a little while ago to a lot of my friends who are working on Broadway, and I kept finding a lot of the same things. Like, for example, I asked them the question, what was the biggest audition mistake you made on a consistent basis when you first started auditioning for Broadway roles? And a lot of people said, 
trying to sound or be like someone else and thinking I needed to be able to do everything amazingly well. Um, another person said not being my complete self in the room. Another person said trying to sound like someone other than myself. And that is such a normal roadblock, a common, I should say, roadblock for so many of the actors that I speak to, that I work with in my private practice. And I want to help people who are going through this and struggling with trying to just be quote unquote themselves in the room by turning the tables and literally talking about the people who are on the other side of the table. I have spoken to so many directors, producers, casting directors, musical directors, writers, all the creative team folks on the other side of the table. And guess what? They're human beings just like us. And yet we seem to forget that when we walk into the audition room, we walk in and we want to be our shiniest best and we want to give them exactly what they want. And yes, everything's great. Even though things are shit in our lives, we're still just going to say that everything's great. And we forget that the people on the other side of the table oftentimes are going through exactly what we are going through, but from a different angle. For example, I spoke to a first time writer and you had no idea how nervous the people are, especially if they're first timers or if they're trying to get a project off the ground or they're really, really just needing something to be cast and needing to get to that next level in their careers or that next level in their project. They're just as nervous. They are feeling just as crazy as we are. And so what I really want to get at is humanizing the audition process because it's brutal. It's Shit, I hate it. It's the it's the worst part, honestly, of the entertainment business of performing for me. Really, and I'm sure it is for a lot of people listening. But when you truly humanize the entire process and you humanize the people on the other side of the table, there's a shift that happens. And instead of walking into the audition room and being like, I must appease the gods on the other side of the table and give them everything that they want and I need to sound like Adina or I need to sound like Sutton or I need to sound like Ben, whoever it is, insert actor. When you humanize a process, you shed all of that pressure that you put on yourselves and you begin to see that this is a dialogue. Yes, the audition process is really just basically a dialogue between artists, a back and forth conversation between people who are just trying to make beautiful art, who are trying to do great work. And when you walk into the room and you see it that way, and you use the script that I give you in Audition Secrets, that first moment you walk in the door, A, that script, my don't ever lie secret, is going to separate you from 99.9% .9 of the people who walk in the door and is going to be like a breath of fresh air for people on the other side of the table. But you set yourself up in a way where you retain your power, you retain your authenticity, and you are able to better influence the events in the room. And it's not all that complicated. It's just changing your perspective and shifting away from that appeasement and wanting to give them what it is you think they want as if. I mean, that's kind of like, it's kind of presumptuous, right? Like, like we know what the people on the other side of the table want. Well, really at the end of the day, they just want to find the one. And all we have to do is show our wares. There's no one else that can come in the room and do it like we do it. I know, I think I've mentioned this in the, in the previous podcast, but there is no competition if we bring our own unique game, our own unique perspective. And one of the ways that we can enhance that 
is, like I said, to humanize the process and to realize that these people on the other side of the table are human beings. They probably have to pee. They're probably nervous. And they have been seeing the same thing over and over and over and over again for like sometimes eight to 10 hours. Really quick before I wrap up the show, I want to give you one interesting perspective. I want you to think of your favorite television show. I'm going to think of, I don't know, back in the day, like Friends, right? Everybody knows Friends. Imagine your favorite scene from your favorite television show. Just one scene. Let's say it's a two-minute scene. Now, imagine having to watch your favorite television show, but watch one hour of that same two-minute scene over and over and over and over and over again. That'd be pretty challenging, right? I mean, if it's a great scene, then, oh, great, you're really going to be able to get in there. You'll be able, if there's three or four or five people in the scene, then you'll really get to see each person's performance in that scene, right? If you're watching the same two-minute scene over and over and over again for an hour. But now, imagine watching that same two-minute scene over and over and over again for an hour, but having different actors every single time you watch the scene. So you're watching that scene, that two minute scene over and over and over again. I guess it would be 30 times in an hour, right? And it's all different actors. Some are good. Some are not so good. Some get the lines right. Some don't get the lines right. Can you imagine how challenging that would be? I could not imagine watching an awesome scene, like, I don't know, the, the taking the couch up the stairs, the pivot scene from Friends with three different actors doing it over and over, just different, different actors over and over and over and over again. But that's what people on the other side of the casting table do. They have got to watch the same stuff. And I mean, one hour? No, try six, seven, 10 hours. Try two six hour sessions in two days. It's just, it's insane. So you wonder why they're grumpy sometimes. So like I was saying, they're human beings and they're going through the same exact thing that we are going through, but it's like the mirror reverse. So just be yourself, go in there and realize that you have nothing to prove, but everything to show. All right, that's all I got for you today. I'm Justin Belguarini. Thank you so very much for listening to Audition Secrets, the podcast. If you have not done it, go to auditionsecrets.com and leave me a question. Go get the book, Audition Secrets, and start nailing more auditions and booking more jobs. And remember, you're only one audition away. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.